All right, so I am David Brothers, and I'm here today with Kiana Witted, a uh, professor, writer about comics, author. Uh, you've done a lot, but I want to start with just kind of a basic question, which is what brought you to comic books? What's your kind of history there? Okay, um, so as a reader, um, I like to tell people that I read a lot of strips and newspaper comics as a kid, a lot of Garfield collections, that kind of thing. Um, but it wasn't until I was in college, I went to Hampton University in Virginia, that um, we had this tiny comic book store up the road, and I started exploring, and it had been a while since I had looked at comics, and it was about the time that um, Spawn was coming out. Oh, yeah. And it was kind of exciting, because I, I really, I like horror comics, any kind of character who wanders into hell or something is interesting to me. And I also like some superheroes and a lot of other different genres. And I started to find really interesting things that were coming out. And it was about that time that I started reading. Um, my area of specialization in the academy is primarily African-American literature and cultural studies. But I was always a comic book reader. And so it was about the time that um, I think I had been in my position here for about two years when I um, asked to teach a course on Sandman. Okay. So I'm a big Neil Gaiman fan, and they let me do it. So that was really nice. Um, I started researching and writing in the area as well. And when I found ways that I could sort of link my interest in African-American literature with my interest in comics, I was really excited, um, although nervous that people, you know, how people would respond to that. And I was mm -hmm. fortunate that I had a, a pretty decent response and students signed up for the classes. So that was good. Has the uh, university been really supportive? Like They have been. And initially, I um, taught these courses just during the summer where the stakes are sort of low <laughs> and... Uh, and that was fine because I got to experiment and figure out what worked. But now I do them also during the school year, and I'm hoping to um, use the model that a lot of other universities have used to add them to the curriculum. And I and I should mention that I'm in an English department, so it's a little bit easier. Um, there's a lot of precedent in English departments for adding classes uh, that study comics. So, uh, yeah, so, you know, I get the usual um, second look like you're, you're the one teaching this class. I've had a couple of students who've been unsure, a couple of parents, <laughs> uh, some colleagues who look a little puzzled, but now they're all, they're all used to me now. So that's awesome. Uh, it's interesting because like I've written, uh, I guess my specialty as well is also uh, black culture and comics, I guess, in terms of writing mm -hmm. about comics but I come from more of an emotional reaction background, like something happens and then I talk about how it makes me feel or how it ties into history. Yeah. And I feel like my position is very much beholden to the kind of stuff that you do because you're doing the work kind of creating the history that I can consult. Because I think that like kind of the history of comics is still obviously like growing mm -hmm. in terms of uh, rediscovering significant figures from the past and that kind of thing. So how much... Uh, like, how important is having that greater context to you? How does that affect how you write about comics or teach comics? 
Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think that that's a good question. I mean, I have a we academics, I should say, we have emotional responses and all of those things too. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, depending on your style and who you are, you might express it differently. And and the way that I try to do it is by the topics that I choose. I'm not going to invest my time in something that I'm not, you know, feeling uh, really passionate about. But at the same time, I have the obligations of my discipline in my department. And I, I need to make sure that my work um, is sort of vetted and sourced and peer reviewed. Um, but the other thing that's, um, maybe important and interesting for this conversation is that in the work that I'm doing, for instance, on 1950s comics, um, a lot of that work was originally done by fans and readers and whether it's interviews or fanzines and those things are, are sort of demonstrate the kind of merging between, I guess, our two positions. Mm hmm. Um, so I love I love reading those old fanzines and interviews, but then sometimes it gets frustrating because people will say these great things that someone else said, and they won't tell they won't tell you where it's from. <laughs> yeah, you don't know who said it, and you hear the story repeated, and you know I I want to get clarification on that, but at the same time, the story that's passed down itself has value, even if it's not the correct story or if it's become kind of um, lore and legend. I mean, I think about um, the story Judgment Day, mm-hmm. which I'm sure you're familiar with. Yeah, definitely. And the reasons that are given for why that particular EC comic was, or that story, uh, was denied by the... the um, comics Code. The Comics Code, right. So there's like three different versions of that. Wow. And I don't know, I still have to do some work on it. I don't know which one is quote unquote the truth, but if everyone believes that it was turned down because it was a black man who looked too sweaty <laughs> in the final panel and that becomes part of the easy story and that becomes part of black people in comics and it becomes part of this whole tradition, then I you know, that's worth talking about too, both uh on an academic level and on a kind of personal response emotional level yeah it reflects the times that it was in to a certain extent so there's something worth digging into there right yeah so yeah (laughs) uh that's it reminds me a bit of um george harriman who created crazy cat crazy and ignatz um i had no idea that he was a i believe a mixed race passing black man until like a black critic told me basically Mm -hmm. You know, it's not as important um, to the history of comics for that to be in there. Like, it's specific to the black experience. So finding out that kind of thing is really fascinating to me. Like, it's one of those things that I've loved kind of digging into comics history a little bit. Trying to build, like, a parallel black history of comics, if that makes sense. No, I I agree. But isn't it also kind of cool that he's seen as, I don't know, a father figure of the industry... Oh, totally. And then, but part of part of what makes him so interesting is that he has this alternative kind of life to it that becomes quintessentially American in yeah. the comic. I think that's kind of cool. And he's legendary. Like it, it's it really helped me like comics more. Like I've always liked comics since I was a kid. My uncle gave me issues or whatever. But like that was where I was like, wow, mm-hmm. like comics really are something that black people specifically can do 
you know. Right. And and can read. Like yeah. they're readers. They're, they didn't just come up in the eighties. Yeah. There've always been groups of black readers who've been taking in this stuff. Yeah, like you have the photo on your website of the little girl reading comics at a newsstand. Uh I forget the date, but it was it was back in the day. You know, like fifties or forties. Wow. Yeah, and it's kind of a counterpoint to the prevailing idea that, you know, these are just for this one specific group of people. It's, no, we all took part in it. Exactly, yeah. that, And that's part of the work that I'm trying to do, if I can get the time to do it. Um, <laughs> it to show that there were black readers, one of the things that I like, I'm trying to look at is, for instance, the conversations going on in the Chicago Defender or in the Pittsburgh Courier um, that had their own comics pages. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but they talked about uh, comic book characters and heroes um, in letter pages um, and other articles within the newspaper. So it kind of gives you some insight that there was a black readership there. And then, of course, you know, all that work that Frederick Wortham was doing. um, A lot of his research was on poor black kids in Harlem. Hmm. People don't really I mean, they acknowledge it, but. I think that the implications of that haven't been discussed as much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sort of what it means that this sort of villain of the industry, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we know what's doing this work in New York with these kids. And you look at the um, the notes and, and they would list all the comics that they were reading. And, uh, they, you know, so they were reading all of the, all of these things, the Donald Duck and the Superman. They were reading all of those comics. Um, and that's where he did a lot of his research. So that, I think that's important. Yeah. Is there anything you've discovered while researching that kind of blew your mind a little or is like a favorite uh, find? Um, well, I would have to say, go, going back to, to the Wortham stuff, um, I did have the opportunity to look at some of his papers and archives and there's been a lot of work done on that in the last on him public publications by Carol Tilly and others in the last year or so. Um, but I, I just, for me, um, thinking about his particular concern about the, the responses that black readers would have to comics and that that was also part of one of the reasons why he spoke out against, um, these comic books. I thought that was, important and interesting um, and looking at some of the letters of people who were like begging him to come to their schools and talk about this and they would say things like we want to keep our kids from having to see you and become like the kids that you um, are doing your research on Mm -hmm. and there's a way in which um, I found a little bit of evidence but still looking some of the people were not even they did not even realize, you know, where he was located and where he was doing his work, um, and that it would it was to benefit again this free clinic um, in Harlem. And so, when he was doing all of this touring and talking about seduction of the innocent and everything, he would ask instead of speakers' fees for the money to go to the Lafarge Clinic in Harlem. Wow! So in a, a way, it was sort of like. <laughs> I don't know. Seduction of the innocent is helping to subsidize this clinic. I don't know. There's there's like a lot of weird connections here. I mean, his relationship with Richard Wright and Langston Hughes and Ralph Ellison always really interested me. I had no idea about any of that. 
Yeah, and the, and the fact that, again, he's such a kind of complicated and disliked figure on our end um, is one thing, but on their end, he was doing some good work there for those kids and people who couldn't afford psychiatric care. And I think, so it's harder for me to see him as just a villain, Yeah. although it's also hard to read some of the hyperbolic things he said about comics, too. So, <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, that's what we have to deal with everywhere, right? The good and the... Yeah, absolutely. And I think I read somewhere that he, he didn't recant, but he kind of changed his position on the comics industry later in life. Well, he would say, I never intended for there to be a kind of censor. Yeah. I, this, is, this is not what I intended to happen. And, and even when they put out the comics code, it didn't really do what he wanted. Um, and then later, yeah, he did some work on fanzines and he talked about some other things. But um, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot to a lot of pieces to that. And I feel like we focused a lot on some of the most outrageous examples he provided and the responses of the comic book industry. But um, I think there's more, there's more there. <laughs> yeah. It's already just in like these two or three minutes, I am hooked. So that's great. Um, you're, you're focusing on race and fifties comics right now. Can you talk a little uh, bit about what led you there? Like why specifically that era? Sure. Well, part of it is a, a lot of the things that we've talked about already. So I was very curious about um, what black readers, what kinds of comics were they picking up if they did it all. And I was initially interested in um, in my uh, first book, I did some work on Richard Wright. And I just knew that Richard Wright read comics, comic strips. He mentioned a couple of characters sometimes in his work. He mentioned reading comic strips. But I wanted to know, like, what was he reading? And I never quite have figured out a, a good, an good enough answer to that question. But um, the research on Wright and then later Ralph Ellison um, with comic books did lead me to Wortham and some of those studies that he had, had done. Um, and a lot of people are familiar, of course, with the controversy surrounding comics in the 1950s and how uh, EC Comics was involved in that. And so the question I wanted to ask was, you know, do we have a sort of a full view of the comics landscape during this time where on the one hand you have these horror comics and these crime comics that look so outrageous? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then you have stuff like Judgment Day which is really interesting. And then you have things like Jackie Robinson has his own comic and Fawcett is putting out Negro romance. I've been looking for those. Like those are, I have a few Holy Grails and they're pretty much all old, like all Negro comics. Number one is on the list and that kind of thing. Yeah. And I just want to see, like I want to see this history myself. I know I looking at all Negro comics. So that's 1947. I mean, that's just amazing that they, um, that Ev or in, Evans put that out and he tried to develop these original characters and use black artists and black writers and you can really tell a lot by what he valued what comics readers valued during the time by the kinds of characters that appear in there I mean I think it's really interesting um, you've seen some of the scans of all Negro comics you know there's no superheroes in there yeah I think the closest it comes is Lion Man and he's more of like a Paul Bunyan right. folk hero right yeah like a jungle comic so they were capitalizing on the popular genres at the time. And I think a lot of times when we look at black um, 
characters and representation in comics, we turned to superheroes. But in the 40s and 50s, um, there were a lot of really popular genres. And I think some of the more interesting ones when it comes to representations of black people were not, they, they were these different genres. So they were the romance or the jungle comics or the, the funny comics or those types of things. Um, so I, I just, I wanted to sort of give a, get a fuller picture of that, which is what led me to this moment. And I also feel like, well, I love EC Comics, so I'm doing something on them too. And I feel like they were also doing some really interesting things uh, with genre, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so I want, so I, I want to talk a little bit more about that. So that's what, that's what those projects are about. So uh, will these be, what's the end point of your research? Are you working on another book or is it for uh, blogs or anything? Uh, well, the 50s stuff is for a book. And so is um, um, another project I'm doing on EC. But I do occasionally blog about things. I try to make my blog post relevant to what I'm doing or else it takes more time away. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> but yeah, so the, the, impulse, the end result is a book. Uh, two two books. So we'll see. It'll be a little while, but um, I mean, a lot of academics sort of go back and forth because you know when we blog about things, when you blog about things, you definitely get you're getting more readers and more exposure and more conversation. You're actually getting comments on the blog, whereas I put out an article and it's you have to have a subscription to read it, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you know it. it, it is accessible to other people who are doing what I do, but less accessible to others. So blogging is one of the ways that I try to bridge that. Mm -hmm. Kind of between academia and uh, pop culture almost. Right. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, to be able to share what we're doing beyond the half dozen or so readers. (laughs) Who pick up that stuff is kind of. I mean, it's it's nice when you can have a a good conversation that follows, um, your review of a new comic or something like that. And when I don't, I don't often get that kind of conversation on my side with what I'm doing. Um, but the ter- turnaround is that it's supposed to be part of my profession and part of my annual reviews and those types of things. And so the benefits there, I guess, are professional, but. In terms of the interaction, yeah. I don't get that as much. You've been a panelist as well at uh, conferences and conventions. Does that also fit into your idea of like bringing this message to the masses? Um, yeah, I've done a, a couple of things here in South Carolina um, and then some academic conferences. Again, that, that sort of goes along with like with blogging to be able to have conversations with people, different types who may not be necessarily um, in the academy, but are interested, are fans, are who study comics and from different perspectives. And that's, that really helped me with my work too. Um, Because like I said, a lot of this stuff, uh, a lot of the people who are tracking these materials, talking to the creators and doing interviews, you know, they are readers and fans and journalists who study the work um, and not necessarily academics. So um, I think with any kind of cultural studies approach, you have to find different ways to access your sources. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I yeah. So I really I like doing those. I like doing those things when I can. Do you have like a community of professors or just 
readers or whoever that you uh, that you can talk with when you're not actively researching? Someone you can bat ideas off of? I do. I have um, a couple, couple of people uh, who I talk to a lot. So there are the people who um, also contribute to the pencil panel page blog mm-hmm. uh, at the Hood of Utilitarian. So uh, my fellow panelists there, Frank and Roy, Adriel and Michael. So that's a nice space. We're all academics. Um, and we try to talk about things that we do which are relevant to our work. Um, Brian Crimmins is another colleague of mine um, who has his own blog and who's working on Captain Marvel and he also does things on race and comics. Um, Brandon Costello, who's my co-editor on Comics in the South. So we run things by each other um, and ideas and blog posts and papers. Um, Rebecca Wanzo is another one. Um, she also works with race and comics too, so those those are that's nice. Yeah, uh, to be able to have those people to run things by, and they they appear on panels and we do things together, and so that you know uh, another sub community there too. Awesome. Yeah, I feel like uh, people discussing race and comics has kind of exploded, even over like the past two years, even. Mm-hmm. Um. How do you feel about that conversation? Like, is there is there a focus that you feel is lacking? Are you pretty pleased with it so far? It's, this is a super broad question, but uh, you know. not fine. I mean, I feel kind of conflicted because I don't um, follow some of the recent news and developments as closely as I should. Mm-hmm. And but I do feel like, just like with anything online in terms of social media and um, blogs and the way things work. So when someone does something offensive Mm -hmm. or there's something really (laughs) problematic that happens and then you get a, you know, um, flurry of comments and tweets and posts and this is what we need to do to change things. And then the people come with, but we've already done this. You're just not reading it. Um, I, I try to follow those conversations when I can. I think that they're important. They're important part of any, sort of uh, art that's developing and people are looking for for multi-dimensional representation but sometimes I don't know I mean I, I feel like we have we're having some of the same conversations over and over again yeah definitely somebody does something offensive and then they, they want to hear what you have to say about it <laughs> <laughs> right they go yeah they go to your blog and, and <laughs> see what you'll say about it or hope you'll weigh in on their post and I mean that's fine. Um, I, I I definitely am in the camp of the people who say, well, the work is here. If you're, for instance, if you're if you're thinking there's not enough black creators being represented somewhere, there's work there if you look for it. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, I think uh, without some of the fan response and some of, of the um, outrage, we we don't get. Um, Without that, we wouldn't see some of the changes that we do. So, I mean, it used to be letter pages would do things like that. Mm-hmm. Or um, a group of school kids would get together <laughs> like they did for, uh, was it Steamboat or Little Eight Ball? One of those characters um, in the 40s. And they'd go to the publisher and say, please stop doing this. <laughs> um, I mean, so we have a, hist- a history of that, you know. Yeah, it's, it's valuable. <laughs> 
It's I guess agitation and conversation are like the two main tools. So are you reading anything uh, modern now? Like what kind of comics are you into? Your personal taste. Um, I really like I like fantasy horror and then I guess maybe some crime stuff. I um, I mentioned this to you before, but I really like Chew. So mm-hmm. I'm, that's one of the recent things that I'll read and actually look for when it comes out. I also like Saga. Mm-hmm. Really like Brian K. Vaughan. Um, I picked up Revival and Shadow Man recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and Unwritten. I picked that one up too. Uh, but yeah, but so mostly I'm looking at horror and fantasy type comics. I don't read a lot of superheroes, but I'm trying. I'm trying to catch up. <laughs> it's on tough. A lot of, uh, <laughs> on a lot of things, or something. Somebody will get mad about something, and then I'll go read that. I read Batwoman for a while, and I mean, I you know, uh, but those are the types of things that I'm reading. Okay, how much of that is reflected in your academic work? Like, I know you were saying, uh, like, all Negro comics had several different genres, but I'm having trouble thinking of, like, a like a Negro horror comic, for example. That's a really good question. Well, I mean, it makes me think about some of the stuff that uh, John Jennings is doing. He does a lot of mm. stuff with horror comics. Um, and he, you have to, I guess, well, I should say, in terms of the, the, the more recent things that I mentioned, how it works, how, it, how I use it in my academic work is that I, I, also, I often teach it in my classes. So okay. teaching comics is um, the other thing that I do. So in addition to writing um, about it, I use it. So it's good for me to be able to have some more recent things. I used, for instance, um, Ex Machina a little bit in my class. That's not even out anymore, but... Um, <laughs> They're reprinting that in uh, soft covers and hard covers, so it's definitely current. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So, but I um, I liked what they were doing with the um, what was he like the deputy mate, the black guy? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the deputy mayor. <laughs> um, and I I liked I really liked the way that story unfolded. So I like I used that in my class. I used some Black Panther in my class this past semester um and i try to bring in some more recent things so in terms of my students interest i do try to keep up when i can okay what uh just out of personal curiosity what kind of black panther stories were you discussing or which rather oh i was discussing the christopher priest run okay awesome Uh, do you like those i mean most people really like yeah run um and I, i i very much like the commentary that priest himself gives at the beginning of the trade about the decisions he made for that character and that made for a great discussion so yeah. some of the choices how to get this guy and have him be so tough and cool but not talk too much um his decision to add the white character what's his name everett everett ross, uh, ross <laughs> to kind of be a stand-in for the reader which some of my students sort of had a problem with that but others thought his sense of humor helped to to kind of make the comic more accessible to them. So that made for a good conversation too. And then we watched some of the BET animated. <laughs> oh yeah, the uh, Reggie Hudlin wrote those. Yeah, right. We watched some of that as a follow up. But that's yeah. So that's what we used. Okay. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I had a Black Panther discovery, I guess, uh, that Don McGregor and Billy Graham did uh, run on Jungle Action in the 70s. And it was kind mm-hmm. of like the first, or one of the first, uh, stories where it's like a continuing story. It's like 19 parts or something like that. And it's all set in Wakanda. The, there's like maybe two white people in the cast. Like it's majority black cast. Okay. And McGregor had to fight to keep it that way. And there's all this crazy stuff going on. Like, there's a gay couple in there that's... They can't say it, like, expressly because of the comics code at the time. Mm -hmm. But it's very obvious when you're looking at how they relate and, like, the things they're saying and kind of the subtext of their relationship. It's like there's just so much going on in, you know, this little Black Panther comic. It's not even in a comic named after him. Mm -hmm. But it still feels really important for the character. Yeah, to be able to see and to see that it comes out of this tradition of jungle comics that was really incredibly problematic. Oh, yeah. The first six issues of uh, Jungle Action are just like jungle reprint comics and they're awful. <laughs> they're terrible. But then there comes something more interesting out of it. And yeah. you kind of have to decide. You kind of have to take the good and the bad to sort of figure out and measure small bits of progress as you go along. Yeah, it's kind of like what you were saying with Wortham is that even when, if something's taking a step back, there's still something about it that's positive, I think. Right. And and something worth noting that, that other creators will then build on later. Yeah. Um, Adelie Funama wrote a book called Super Black. He's um, an academic in uh, California. And he kind of tracks these small, sometimes really, really small <laughs> steps <laughs> Uh, more progressive, more complex images of African-American superheroes, you know, looking at like Green Arrow and Green Lantern and Luke Cage. Yeah. And it, it feels like throughout the whole thing, he has to have all these caveats. Well, the dialect <laughs> sounds really problematic, but he was doing this. And by the time, you know, and you go through and and you, you have to, you do see the sort of the logic of the progression and but it's hard to to feel kind of unproblematically celebratory about it yeah there's always like i really like this but this page you might want to skip or something right (laughs) (laughs) right don't read those issues yeah yeah uh so you teach comics as well is it is it do you approach it the same as teaching uh english lit or something like that or is it more specialized but usually i I begin by um, sort of getting all of the assumptions and the anxieties out there. I generally have um, more students in the class who don't regularly read comics than do. And I have to, um, I try to let them know that that's fine, that's okay. They don't need to be like comic book guy from The Simpsons in order to take the class. Yeah. <laughs> and so we, we spend a lot of time talking about uh, defining the field as an academic um, area of specialization, uh, but also just talking about, you know, what we enjoy about these stories. And so uh, I try to balance some of the um, more scholarly comic studies approaches to just allowing them to respond to the work as readers and fans. We read some Scott McCloud, Understanding Comics, or uh, Bradford Wright, Comic Book Nation, I really like. And uh, like this past semester, I did a course, it was specifically on African-American comics. And so I did have them look at 
the, what I have at least of the all Negro comics. Yeah. Um, and we read some little eight ball and some Negro romance. <laughs> <laughs> and um, they really liked Negro romance, actually. That was a hit. And then we moved forward and um, I didn't do Nat Turner this time, but I often do Nat Turner and Staggerly and Bayou. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we did Aya um, and Black Panther and something else I'm missing. But yeah, so by the time we get to the end, they, you know, they realize they've read a dozen or so comics. They they feel a lot more confident talking about both the narrative and the artwork, the design, the style. I try to give them a little bit of the history. And um, for the most part these days, a lot of professors will include a graphic novel or a comic. It's not unusual to see that in an English class. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a full, a full class devoted to it. And so it usually goes pretty well. That's, I wouldn't have expected... Uh to have so many students who aren't comics readers in the class. Do they ever discuss kind of why they take the class? Well, you know, you get the usual... There's always going to be some who think they're going to get an easy A. Yeah. I I try my best to to let them know that's not the case. (laughs) Um, But usually it's because, you know, they've read Mouse or something in a class, or they've Mm -hmm. read uh, Watchmen, you know, the, the couple of graphic novels that have become sort of crossed over and become more canonical and they want to know more, but they don't feel like they have, I don't know, a kind of permission to read and study the work if they're not a a quote unquote sort of comic book nerd or something. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I get a lot of young women who are in that category of, you know, they've always wanted to, but didn't know where to start. Okay. Um, a lot of manga readers these days, and they just they want to sort of know what I, what it is that they can do with it on an academic level, how they can study it. Uh, but there's there's a lot of curious students, but they're just not sure you know where to begin. Yeah. Did you ever read a comic or study a comic in school? No, I missed out. Like I had no idea that you could even do that somehow. But then I went to, you know, a small school in Georgia, so maybe a UGA or somewhere they had uh, comics, comics classes. They probably have more now. Yeah. Uh, you've recommended a lot of stuff uh, in the show already, but are there any books or resources that uh, listeners should check out to kind of get, the, get more info on just the history of comics, black history in comics, anything that comes to mind? Well. Your own uh, books included? plugs are right. totally fine <laughs> I mean I um, well outside of my own um, which the one that I worked on uh, the essay collection on comics in the south only includes one essay by me that I did on Swamp Thing but the entire collection and I'm, we're really proud of it because um, one of the things that I like to say is that I didn't go into it thinking or rather, I went into it thinking we'd get like one section that would be on race and comics. Mm-hmm. And I was ready for that one unit. But it turned out that several of the essays addressed racial representation and blackness, whiteness, and comics. And so we didn't have to sort of segregate them off into a black section. <laughs> um, so like in Comics in the South, there's really great essays on, um, on Pogo and race. Uh, Captain America and uh, when he... 
was Southern for a hot minute and had a black sidekick. Oh, yeah, Earth. Captain Falcon. Well, no, this was when he oh, was... Oh, before punch. then. Oh. Um, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get the artist wrong, so I'm not going to... Yeah. I can give you the link, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, so Bucky was black, and Captain America was from Georgia, and it was... It didn't... It was sort of like a a buddy cop type situation. It was around the time that 48 hours had come out. Oh, it didn't didn't really work. I think I've heard of this. Yeah. It's it's interesting. And like, there was something where like Dwayne McDuffie had to pull someone aside to be like, Hey, you know, like Buck's not a good thing to call black guys. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. That was part of the, the the message boards where he was like, I was like, I see, I hear that people are upset about this. But then there were things like um, he was the the guy who was um, Captain America was being lynched, <laughs> and or no, was it this? Was it Bucky was being lynched, and he used his neck muscles to get out of it? Oh wow! And, I mean, there was it. It was an effort. <laughs> <laughs> they were trying. They were trying, but I think Brandon does a much better job than I just did of sort of contextualizing, you know, why this came out during this moment and sort of some of the implications of it that perhaps even the writer and artist were not aware of. So, I mean, things like that are really nice. Um, There's essays in there on Stuck Rubber Baby and Nat Turner and, um, and sort of seeing how race plays a role in these comics that we've focused on for their regional interest in the South. I think is important. Um, I can, I mentioned already um, Adelie Fudama's book, Super Black. Mm-hmm. Okay. But yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for talking to me. I like how, I don't want to say you make academia fun because that's, you know, like a commercial slogan, but I'm always mm-hmm. impressed and fascinated by the stuff that you write about. Oh, thank you. Like just I, the connections you draw and like the way you lay things out is really strong to me. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that. I'm trying my best to be a little more accessible in my writing and find some things that, um, I don't know, find ask questions that are interesting. I find, though, maybe you can um, respond to this. Mm-hmm. I, I find there, you know, when you go searching for hooks and clicks and all that, that kind of stuff, people really appreciate more argumentative, really polemical type arguments that just... You know, I'm uh, not sure. I think that people like the the train wreck aspect. Like <laughs> the let's you and him fight sort of thing. But, like, those are definitely more memorable, I think, when people are, like, really hardcore super into it. But mm-hmm. some of the best things I've read have been just someone saying, like, hey, here's how this made me feel. Yeah. Those are the things that I appreciate, not necessarily the screaming headlines that yeah. say so-and-so is a racist. Yeah. <laughs> I've been trying to uh, just listen for a while, like pretty much ever since I got the image job, uh, just to figure out how people are talking and why they are talking the way they are. And like, how can I make my contributions better? Mm-hmm. And more and more, it's like screaming's not gonna, <laughs> like you have to have, you have to have something you can argue as a human being, as opposed to like an internet personality. Right. Right. But then if you let the moment pass. Yeah. 
Like and, there's there's no market for uh, Christopher Priest Black Panther essays really anymore. Right. <laughs> but I would read that. I would read. I would be interested in your Christopher Priest essay. But you're right. It's a small. It's a slimmer audience there. Yeah. But they're um, so dedicated. It's always fun when you find some tiny fact or like crazy connection, and and six people out of you know six billion are like, oh my goodness, this is so great. You're a genius. Mm-hmm. That's a good feeling. Yeah. Okay. So I guess we'll, we'll be have we'll have to be satisfied with those six. Yeah. 